0: Okay, so you're going to hear the truth today, and I believe it'll be a good thing when you respond to it also. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, or ushers will get you one. Once you've got it, go with me to Matthew 16. Once again, congratulations to all our graduates. Bless you. Proud of you. You did good. I remember my kindergarten graduation. That was the highlight of graduation for me as a kindergartner. So blessed. Some of you can relate to that as kindergarten graduates. Well, Talking about the game of life, it's going to be about the decisions and choices you make that are life-altering. Whether defeat or victory, death or cursing, we make decisions every day that affect us. And so you saw there, the first one we're going to get into today is being born again. One of the greatest decisions you can make. Matthew 16, verse 13. And when Jesus came into the region, accessory of Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, if you'll note there, the first question, he asks two questions here. The first one is, Who do men say that I am? Now, we could go to the mall later this afternoon and set out a a booth out there, and when people come by, say, Who do men say that Jesus are? And we'd get a bunch of variety of answers. Look what happens here, what they say. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some will say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, question number two, but who do you say that I am? Now in this question, he gets very personal. Who do you say that I am? And if you'll note there, he didn't say, who does your mother say that I am? Who does your grandpa say that I am? He said, who do you say that I am? Peter answering in verse 16 said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is significant. The reason I say that is Father God promised Israel thousands of years before that he would send them a Messiah. And that the Messiah would be from the lineage of David. And that he would fulfill the new covenant. So when Peter says here, You are the Christ, the Hebrew word for Christ right there means the Messiah. So Peter is saying, I see you as who Father God said you would be. Now when Father God said that he would come from the lineage of David, he told David this, he said that forever you will have someone on, on the throne. When he said that to, to King David, all that pointed to Jesus. Jesus was and is the Messiah, the sent one. Many religious people still don't acknowledge him as that. Many people on our earth view him as a man, a prophet, uh, a teacher, but he is the Messiah. Now look over with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're, or, I mean, excuse me, John chapter 3 first. John 3, we're going to get into this a little bit deeper today. This is something that has really stirred up in me for the last few weeks about being born again. Now, you may have heard different ways of being born again, different theories, different thoughts, and I'm not here to be a denominational buster. I'm just here to give you the truth today. When you leave here, you'll understand salvation, okay? Thank you for those holy grunts. John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews... Now what we got to understand about these guys that were Pharisees, even Nicodemus here, guys, these weren't some uh, Christian or spiritual wannabes. These guys had great credentials. What were the Pharisees' credentials? Well, they loved God. They went to church. They tithed. They fasted twice a week. And on top of that, they were thoroughly trained in Jewish customs. How's that? They memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They memorized it. They were able to recite it. So they had great spiritual credentials, okay? Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night because he was afraid for his life. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, he looks and says, there's something different about you. Look at Jesus' response, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus right here, he gets right to the point. He said, unless one is born again, he must be born again. That word again there in the Greek means from above. So he said, unless one is born from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is the first thing that Jesus clarifies. Now remember the Pharisees' credentials. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he was thinking about a physical rebirth or a biological rebirth. But look at Jesus' response in verse 5. And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now Jesus refers both to the, the natural and the spiritual. How do we know that? Well, I'm going to really fill in verse 5 here in a little bit. But jump to verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Okay? This is my flesh right here. We can see each other's flesh. We can touch each other. Why? It's real. But then he clarifies and he says, and, and. It goes right in line with verse 5. And one which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So when you talk about the Spirit, guys... We can't see each other's spirit. We can't touch it. But I believe the analogy Jesus has given us here is, your natural man and your spirit man are both just as real. This spirit realm is just as real as this natural realm. Now keep reading. Verse 7. Do not marvel, be surprised or astonished that I said to you, you must be born again. So really, you know what he's saying to Nicodemus? Get all your credentials out. Those don't mean nothing. You must be born again. So I believe he's telling Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. Now we could take a poll in here today, and I could say, how many of you want to go to heaven? And every one of us would raise our hand. It would be unanimous. How many of us think we're going to heaven? Some of us would raise our hand. How many of us know we're going to heaven? There would be a few. But that's where we got to get today, where that you know where you're going to spend eternity at. Now look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So you know what he's telling me? How many have ever seen the wind? I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. And this is exactly what he's talking about with your spirit, man, that when Jesus comes on the inside, you get born again. You may not be able to see it with a physical eye, but it's still just as real. It's just still as active. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these, uh, these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do you not know these things? So you know what I believe he's telling Nicodemus, you got these great credentials, buddy. But you cannot be ignorant of salvation. Now I believe this today, the reason we're starting this series today, this is the single most greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. You know why? We're not playing with a day, a month, a week, a year. We're talking about eternity. Now, when I say eternity, we as human beings, a lot of times, we have a hard time grasping that. Eternity. See, it's easy for me to talk about, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going on vacation. Mm, roughly eight, eight months from now, it's going to be Christmas. Some of you that are juniors in high school, you can think, you know, a year from now, I'll be graduating But when we think of uh, of terms of eternity, it's hard for us to grasp it. Now in this passage here, Jesus wanted Nicodemus to grasp it. And he didn't leave Nicodemus just hanging. Look what he says in John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him... Now to believe in him, guys, is not just a mental thing... To believe, is, to believe in him is to trust him, to rely on him, and to cleave to him, okay? So there's more than just a, a one-time confession. So he goes on to say that the one believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, look at verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Look real close what he said Through him. The only way, Nicodemus, you're going to be born again is through Jesus. All your credentials don't mean a flip if you're not living in Jesus. Through him. Okay? And this is what I believe he's trying to tell him here. you got to get born again. Now I want you to go back to verse 5. And I said we're going to fill in the blank here a little bit. I think we really need to focus on this today and really look at this. Jesus then answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water. And you know what he was talking about born of water there? He was talking about a natural birth here into the earth. When a woman's water breaks, the child comes. And so he's telling us two things here. You must be born into this earth. Now I'm going to tell you, the only way you're going to be born in this earth Is through a man and a woman. Anything that's healthy will reproduce, okay? This is what he's talking about. The second thing he says, and he must be born of the Spirit. So remember, born from above. Now I believe when Jesus is saying this, guys, he wants us to understand there's similarities between a natural birth and a spiritual birth. Let me share some of those with you, and this may help you. The only way in either situation there's a birth, it takes a seed. The seed of a man, but also when you get born again, the seed of the word of God. You hear the word and you act on that and that's how we get born again. Now think about this. This little baby, excuse me, this little baby, when he is conceived, the only thing he does is sleep and eat. He or she is totally dependent on the mother. How? This thing called an umbilical cord. So the only thing this little rascal does for the next nine months is eat and sleep. But you know what happens while he's eating and sleeping? He begins to grow. And not only does he begin to grow, he begins to change. How do you know that? Well, you think about When a woman conceives, you don't have a clue what it is. You don't know if it's a little boy or a little girl for how long. For the process, for a few months down the line. And then with an ultrasound, you look and say, that's a little little Bobby right there. That's a little Sally. That's a little split tail. And so we begin to look and we can see what? The change and the growth. How's that come spiritually? I believe if you really, really get born again, there's going to be change. And there's going to be growth. And it may be a process. But there should be continual growth and continual change. See, as a child, if there's not growth within them, something's wrong. That's the same with us spiritually. The ultimate goal for us spiritually is to have fruit. And so you think about it. As long as that baby is hooked to God, I mean, hooked to the mother... He's going to grow. That's the same as us. And the growth with me spiritually has nothing to do with me. It's all through Father God. All I did is gave my heart to Jesus. He came on the inside and there started being change in me. There should be change. Ultimately, you think about a child. The ultimate goal is you begin to teach him what? How to walk. How to talk. How to eat. How to potty. And the ultimate goal for every child is they can begin to take care of themselves to a certain degree. Now you realize they're going to be under your roof and connect. That's the same way with us, guys. The ultimate goal with us spiritually is where we can begin to walk on our own, where we're connected to God, but also we can start to take care of other people. So here's the thing I ask you right now. Since you got born again, has there been change in you? It may be a process, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you're really born again, you won't cuss like you used to. You won't do the things like you used to. There should be change in us. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now we're going to go back and forth here into Matthew 7, so you may put a, a marker in there or something. I'll be back and forth in there this morning. I believe this is going to help you. Now guys, you got to understand, this has stirred me up here. This has stirred me up. It's really stirred me up on Wednesday nights talking about the fear of the Lord. Just to live with a reverential fear of God. Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus' words, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, I know I read it fast, but we're going to break it down. Jesus here gives us two comparisons, two choices. Now, note this. There's not three, four, or five choices. There's only two here. There's two gates, a wide one and a narrow one. Jesus tells us, go in by the narrow gate. Now, first of all, let's break down the wide gate. He said, wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many are on it who go in by it. Now, I believe he's, he's looking right there to people of the world because people of the world, they like what's easy. I want fame. I want fortune. I want prestige. That's the easy way. This way called the narrow gate is difficult. It's hard. But it is the way that leads to life. And there are few who are on it. Now you know what I believe personally Jesus is saying right here? Only a few are going to go to heaven. Uh Uh-oh. Let me ask you something. Is there a difference between the word few and many? Huge. Huge difference between few and many. Now, the analogy here is the difference between the world and the church, but he's identifying right here. Not not, not many are going to make it. Whoa. Whoa. Is that hard? Well, people may say that is, but I believe the reason it's difficult is because the only way I'm going to get to heaven is it's going to cost me something. And you know what the cost is? I'm no longer Lord of my life. That when I confess Jesus as Lord of my life, I surrender to him. And most people don't want to surrender to him. What does it mean to surrender him? I live by his commandments. I live by the way he tells me. And so this is why he says only a few are on there. Now, if we said the word hell, most of us don't want to think or talk about hell. It's a reality that we really, really don't want to focus on. But it's going to happen. Now, how many of you have ever been to a funeral where you heard the minister that was officiating stand up and say, I welcome all of you to Jimmy Jack's funeral today. I'm so glad you came out to honor him. But I just want you to know, Jimmy Jack is in hell. I've been to some funerals. You know, as ministers, that's our job. We marry them and bury them It's job security. I've never been to a funeral where they said, Jimmy Jack is burning in hell. Never. Now, I've been to funerals where I officiated it and I thought it. Uh-oh. Now, I've done all kinds of funerals, guys, where I knew in my heart they were in heaven. There was no question. But one day I got a call and some people here in Ludwig, they didn't go to church at all. They wanted me to do a funeral. I knew zero about this guy. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'll never do another one. I'm sitting up there and they start talking about this guy's life. You know what's at the head of his, his casket? His golf clubs. I'm serious. And they'd start talking about this guy and they said he loved to play golf. He loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He loved the boat. He loved the outdoors. But you know what? There was not a mention of God at all. But you know what they expect me to do as a minister? Comfort everybody and tell them, oh, Jimmy Jack's in a far better place. Oh, Jimmy Jack's up in heaven now. When I'm sitting there looking, I'm thinking... Jimmy Jack is burning in hell where Jimmy Jack's at. And the reason I said I'll never do it again because I don't want to fill people with false hope that there's a reality of this. Now where'd this stem from, Pastor? Well, Jimmy, you know, we had one of these teenagers in the youth group. He came periodically a few weeks ago. He committed suicide. And I'm not God here to tell you, but if you commit suicide, if you go to heaven or hell, I mean, that's, that's a debate on its own. But what bothered me is when Jimmy told me that the, 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 the person officiating the funeral stood before all these people and said, I want you to know he's in heaven because he got baptized when he was two. Where's that at? You show me biblically where that's at. So I'm not trying to cause a denominational debate here, guys, but I am trying to show us only the truth. And we gotta get a hold of what Jesus said. They don't shout me down or don't turn me off. You know, I'm gonna tell you guys, this is where I'm at. When I've been teaching on the fear of God, guys, I'm gonna tell you right now, I shake before God. I say to Father God, God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to, and some of you are saying, and you're the pastor of the church, and you're saying that? You take that name out of it, guys. You take all my credentials, and there's not very many. Kindergarten graduate. But I'm gonna tell you guys right now, it bothers me, and the Lord has told me, He said, You make it hard for people in the church to go to hell. Make it hard for them. Where they understand the love of God. So how this all happen besides what I thought? Well, I started looking at the Scriptures, and this is how God begins to deal with me. And I'm looking at, at Matthew 7, 13, and 14, and I see the word gates over and over, the narrow gate and the wide gate. So I start running all these cross-references. I look everywhere I can at this word gates. And I begin to see something. Go back with me to Matthew 16. Now hold your place in Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 16 and this is where we just left. This is where we just left. You know, um, as you're turning to Matthew 16, you may remember this commercial. It's been on ESPN. They got this guy doing this funeral, and after he buries the guy and says the prayer at the end, you know what he says? Roll Tide. Talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'm going to tell you right now, who you root for in college football means nothing going to heaven or hell. I don't care if they bury you with your guns up. That doesn't mean a flip. They can drape a cowboy's flag over your car. Yeah, make a flip, okay? That's not how we go to heaven. And we've kind of made a joke about it. Now, look at the gates here. And this is where Peter said, when Jesus asked him, Who do you say I am? He said, You're the Christ. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you because you know who I am. But look at verse 18 of Matthew 16. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. There it is. That was one of the references I saw. So when you read the gates of Hades, what does that mean? It means the gates of hell or the pit of death. Now in my Bible right there by gates, it cross-referenced me back into Isaiah 38.10. Write that down. I'm not going there. But in the Old Testament for Hades, it uses the word shoal. S-H-E-O-L. The word shoal in the Old Testament, guys, it means the gates of shoal, the place of the dead, or the gates of death. Spiritually. Spiritually. A place where I'm going to spend eternity at it made it very clear that even what Jesus was talking about, those gates, it's either the gates of heaven or the gates of hell. Now, to see the gate part of heaven, look back into Revelations 22. Revelations chapter 22. Oh man, this is good right here. The word of God will teach us if we'll allow it to. Revelations 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments. Now there's your nugget right there. Blessed are those who do His commandments. It didn't say, blessed are those who confess Jesus as Lord. Now am I downplaying that? No. But when I confess Jesus as Lord, that's point A. That is starting point. But he specifically says, blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life, the fruit of righteousness, and they may enter through the gates into the city. Who? Those ones who do His commandments. And I thought, where does that go? Actually, it jumps back to Revelation 21, and look at verse 27 with me, and it'll explain what He was talking about here. Revelation 21:27. And this whole passage is talking about the Lamb of God, Jesus. But verse 25 specifically mentions the gates again. But look at verse 27. But there shall by no means enter anything, nothing that it defiles or is impure, or causes abomination, it's unclean, or it's detestable, or a lie, or a lie. Now, I look at this and, and, and if you went back even to verse 15 of, of Revelations 22, you would see several things mentioned. Sexual immorality, wickedness, murders, and whoever practices a lie. Now look, look what he says at the last part of verse 27. But only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you know what he's telling you? You do these things. You practice lying. You live in falsehood, you're not getting in, okay? Don't run from a lie, guys. Stand up and tell the truth. Stand up because this is a big deal. He said, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those are the ones who will enter in. So I ask you the question today. Have you given Jesus control of your life? Is He Lord of your life? Is there any reference of God in your life? See guys, heaven isn't a train ticket to heaven. Heaven's not, our salvation isn't a train ticket to heaven. where well, you get your ticket, you wad it up in your pocket, and you go on about your life as if nothing happened. Heaven is a lot like a marriage relationship. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, there's some of you in here that are married right now. And if I looked at Jimmy and said, Jimmy, are you married? And he said, I think so. Amy would kidney punch him and say, wake up, stupid. Are you married? I hope so. What do you mean by that, pastor? I mean, when I ask him if he's married, he's going to say, I'm married. I know I'm married. I remember it. See, that's exactly how it should be with Christianity when someone looks at you and says, Are you born again? I think so. You think so? Are you kidding me? See, this is where we gotta get, guys, where you don't think so, you know so. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Have you given control of Jesus'? In your life. And the surest way of knowing that, guys, it's a result of obeying. The proof of the puddings in the eating. I can stand up here all day and talk the talk, but there must be fruit in my life. One of the greatest things that can be said to me to this day is when someone says, You're different. You don't act the way you used to. You used to cuss. You used to treat people ugly. You used to, and they would tell me all my worldly credentials and I had a bunch of them. I love when people say, you're different. You have purpose in life. And you know what it's a result of? I've given Jesus control and say, Lord, work on me. Work on me. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's read that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So you know what he's saying? Salvation is more than just a one-time confession as me as Lord. See, a lot of times in our churches right now, we have this thought. Let's, let's confess him as Lord, but let's live like the devil. Now look what he goes on to say here. Speaking of Jesus, it's his words here. He said, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Highlight does. He who does. He who does. See, if I don't have a desire to live pleasing in, my, in his sight, I'm not going to make it. Verse 22. Many, oh Lord, there's that word again. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now you know what he's getting to right here? He's not talking about the world, guys. Verses 13 and 14, I believe, was the analogy, the difference between the world and the church. This one, guys, he's talking about believers or so-called believers within the church. Ones who said, I've confessed you as Lord. I've laid hands on the sick. I've prophesied in your name. But look what he says here in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You know what that means? Me as a believer, I knew about you, Lord. But I didn't know you. In other words, there was no relationship. There was no commitment. See, in a marriage, guys... It's a partner. If you have a good, healthy marriage, you realize this. There's not any days off. You're married every day. Some of you say, crap, thanks for reminding me. (laughs) This is how it should be biblically, even with Jesus. I'm married every day. And he goes on to say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who disregarded my commands. And I think even right here that he's ultimately saying even like Nicodemus remember all of Nicodemus' credentials and so you know we as believers we got these credentials and you know what we say? But I confessed you as Lord. I went to church when it was convenient. I got baptized. I remember when I prayed for Sally in Jesus' name. And Jesus said I never knew you. And when I look at his wording here, guys, and he said many in that day. So you know what he's telling me here? Now fasten your seatbelt. Many within the church are going to make it. Whoa, we got quiet in this Episcopalian church. Whoa. I'm just telling you the truth, guys. This is Jesus' words. This is the, the seriousness of it. Where we think we can show up at church and do my civic duty. What'd you do today? I went to church. What'd you get out of it? Nothing. I took a good nap. He put me to sleep. But I went. I never knew you. I want you to think about this a second. Every one of us are like a house, and Jesus wants to come into our house. He knocks. But the only way Jesus can come in is when you invite Him. He won't force His way upon you. And so what happens many times as believers with our house, we crack the door open. And we like to stick our head out the door. And we like to say to Jesus, I need you to help me win that $600 million lottery. And I need you to get me a new car. And I need you to get me out of all the trouble I'm in. See ya later. And we shut the door. And we go about life with our own business and how we think it should go. That's the first house. And some of you say, man, that stuck me right in the heart. The second part of our house is maybe one time or another in your life, you invited Jesus into your house, but you got so caught up with the world, you know what you did with Him? You evicted Him. At one time you confessed him as Lord, but you ultimately evicted him. Oh, pastor, that's me. That's me. He has no part of me anymore. How about this one? Maybe you've received him as Lord and you've invited him into your house, but you only give him access to one or two rooms of the house. And those rooms say something like, you can be a part of my life on Sunday and go to church with me, but on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you know what? You stay in that part of the house. Wow. Have we done that? I believe we have. Or I can surrender and say, I give you full access, Lord Jesus. Not only do I confess you, Lord, I want you to come in and change me. I want you to come in and help me. Guys, I I, I got such a passion for people right now. I don't want people to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. And I can get around the world, I can get around people at the mall and look at that, they, they're going to hell. And I get around Christians who think they're going to heaven, and you realize there's no fruit in their life. They confess Him as Lord, but they keep living like the devil. Some of you say, "Man, I wish we wouldn't have come to church." No, you need to be here. And I want you to know, I love you guys. I'm I'm for you, but I don't ever want to get to heaven. And some of you be in hell and look at me and say, you knew the truth and you never told me. You heard the truth today. Stand on your feet with me. I don't enjoy this, guys. I promise you.